Hey everyone, welcome to the Seven Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. Seven is the young adults community of Gateway Church here in Arizona. And we exist to help you find your people, find your place, find your purpose, but most importantly, to find his presence. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week at seven. We hope this message speaks to you and grows you. Let's check it out. Hey, I'm, I'm curious. Um, like I said, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't have a ton of jokes tonight. So um, that's that. Um, except for, you heard that song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. You've heard that song before? It would have been really cool if I had told them about that. We could like cue that track right then. That would have been really awesome. Um, but I, I wonder, um, who's the person um, in your life that you respect the most? If, if, you, were to, if you were to kind of think through um, the people that you kind of revere the most, maybe it's a, maybe it's a parent, uh, maybe it's a professor, maybe it's a, um, you know, maybe it's a, a, a teacher, maybe it's, um, you know, an uncle or whatever. I wonder who is it that you respect the most? Just kind of get the, them kind of in your mind, that, that, that picture of that person. And I wonder what, like, does, does your respect for that person or has it ever, has it ever grown? Um, I wonder if like, like, do we just immediately, do you just immediately respect someone totally, completely, never more, never less, regardless of what happens? Probably not, I would assume, okay? Um, I, I'd be curious to know what maybe our definition of respect is. You know, when we say like, I, I respect you, right? Like athletes talk about this a lot. Uh, I, I respect them, right? But um, the way they play against each other does not show that. You know what I mean? Like people, especially when you, like if you watch the NBA, the NBA is like, hilarious for this like everybody seems to be best friends after the game but during the game honestly it looks like they're all just ready to go to blows at any given moment right and it's usually over like the stupidest things right somebody pretended to get injured so it's like well I might as well really injure you then if you're gonna pretend right and so there's this weird like I respect his game but I hate him as a person kind of a thing you know what I mean like maybe you respect people in your work you respect what they do and how they do it but you don't really like them right? Like we, there, I think our, our idea of respect and honoring people kind of can be a little bit, um, it can change maybe from person to person or from situation to situation. But, but I, w- I wonder who's a, who's a person that you respect the most? Who's a person you honor the most that you um, kind of revere, look up to, um, maybe even long to model your life after the most? And does your respect grow. I, I, would, I would hope that, that it does. I would hope that your respect, your honor of that person or just people in general would be something that would grow, right? The longer, the more you get to know someone, the more you understand their story, the more they come to life for you, the more you maybe see trials or challenges that they've faced. And it should, in theory, right, grow your respect for other people. Uh, for, for instance, when I, was in, when I was in Bible college years ago, um, and it's weird to say years ago and that actually be the case, um, 
When I was in, and again, I'll just say this now, this chair, Preston's chair, my feet barely touch, okay? So just don't be distracted. Um, but when I was in Bible college, um, my, I, I'm a fourth generation pastor in my family, okay? And um, just, I went to the same school my dad went to, my dad went to the same school my grandpa went to, and my great grandpa just didn't go to that school because it didn't exist at that point, okay? But everybody else went to the same school, okay? And I remember I grew up, uh, we grew up going to visit my grandpa every single year um, for Christmas, for holidays, we would go see him. Um, I knew him as, as a grandfather. I knew him as the guy that gave me my second presence, right? Um, I knew him as the person that would always, like he never, he was never too ashamed to just give me cash. And I was never too ungrateful to not accept that, right? Like I, I loved uh, my grandpa, my grandpa was a pastor and he was a great man of God. Like he, he was an amazing, amazing person. But I just knew him as, as grandpa until I went to Bible college and my last name, Gross, um, it is like disgusting, nasty. Usually I have to clarify that to people. Um, they, um, I went to Bible college and that Gross is not a last name that can kind of fly under the radar, Right. Like it's a name that, again, I am just thankful my wife chose to take my name, okay? Um, but it's not a name like if it shows up on a roll, on like a roll call that you're just gonna kind of brush right through, right? Like oftentimes we brush through names that are like way too hard to spell. And we're just like, Sammy S. Sammy S, don't even know what the last is. You know who you are, right? Like you've been, for 20 years, we've had an issue with this name. You know you, Okay. But gross is a name that kind of stands out. And so what I, what I came to realize is in every class, like people started like recognizing my name. And okay, just so we're clear, I'm not a big deal. I went to a very small school, okay? Very small Christian school and word gets around quick, okay? Like if you go to Christian school, if you're homeschooled, basically the same thing. You're basically just in class with like your friends and your family, okay? Everybody else doesn't go there. They all go to real universities, okay? Um, it was not like GCU, um, uh, or ASU or any of those deals. Uh, very small school. And people started to kind of like recognize my last name. And, and I remember when I got to um, a, a pastoral theology class I had to take my, my second semester uh, freshman year, um, I remember some teachers were like, gross. Like, was your, was your dad or your grandpa Dean? Was that, was that him? And I'm like, actually, yes. Like, I, how did you know? It's kind of creepy. And what I, what I began to realize is my grandpa was just grandpa to me. He was just a family member that, that I loved going to see and I saw at Christmas. But when I went to Bible college, there was a whole different part of his story I didn't even know. A story that he, he, he planted a church in this small town of, of Minnesota that grew to thousands of people and sparked a revival in that city. And there were professors that were teaching me that came to know the Lord because of my grandpa at that, univers at that church. And all of these people started saying, hey, I knew, your, I knew your grandpa. He was an amazing man. He was an amazing pastor and he's retired now. And, and when, I, when I went to college, I, never in my life did I think that like, I'm going to learn more about my grandpa when I go to college. And yet I did. And I learned more of our family legacy and where we came from and what he did and, and the challenges he went through and the mistakes that he made and the way that he rose above them and the way that he trusted the Lord and then the way that some had come to know the Lord because of his stewardship and his, his, the, the way he lived his, his life. And I will say, to be clear, my respect for him grew. 
My respect for my grandfather grew as I learned more of who he is, what he did, and how he was to certain people. I wonder, one, if if we truly understand the level at which we respect and revere and honor God, and I wonder if we would say that our respect for God continually grows over time. Now, I know that that's a big statement, and every one of us is immediately going to say, yes, of course, Isaac. Like, of course, my, my respect. My respect for God grows, it does. But I wonder, does it really? Every day, are we, are we leaning in to seek him, to know him, to get to know him more? And in turn, is our respect and reverence and awe and wonder and honor of God, creator, God growing every single day? You see, though we, can't, though we can't know God exhaustively, it's impossible for us to ever get to know God. And I know some of you Bible people are like, well, we can't know God completely because he's big. I get it. But though you can't know God exhaustively, you can get to know him more every single day. And my question for us is, what does that knowledge produce? Does the knowledge of God that we gain every time we come to scripture, every time we come into moments like this, does it grow our fear of God, our awe of him, our respect for him? Now, I know I just said fear of God and half of us probably got scared. (laughs) Half of us probably were like, "Uh uh-oh, where is he going? And and I know we talk about fear of God and all of this, and, and, and many of us don't understand what that really means and what it really should produce in our life. And so therefore, we're kind of hesitant about it. And, and here's how I would illustrate this. Um, how many of you drove in a car to get here? Okay, cool. If you didn't, you obviously live close enough to walk, and that's kind of awesome. Um, but we drove in a car to get here. And... This, this may be slightly graphic, um, but I would just ask that you bear with me and if we could be mature enough to kind of like get through this illustration for a moment. Um, the same car that, that we drove here has the potential, that that car has the potential to kill someone, does it not? At any given moment, that vehicle that you stepped into can hurt someone extremely bad. However, at the same time, that same vehicle takes me home to my daughter and my wife every single night. That same vehicle takes you to your job that God blessed you with, that blesses your life financially, that allows you to live in a way that is generous to others. That same vehicle that has the potential to destroy a life gives you the opportunity to build one that you might be able to establish a family and a community and friendships and life here. And so as we talk about the fear of God and awe and respect and understanding how great and mighty and big and majestic he really is, there's a couple of ways that we can interpret that. Number one, we can immediately say, wow, I'm so small. I don't matter. Holy crap. Like God is scary. He can get me at any moment. Like that's, I mean, to be honest, that's true. Be good. But at the same time, as we look at how big and great and majestic and mighty he is, it can lead us to a place of saying, 
wow, that same God that spoke this into existence, that out of dust breathed me into existence, has given me access to him every single day. That same God that, 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 that I love and revere and, and honor, that we could get super scared and, and think of ourselves super terribly and, and even put this picture on God like he's scary and like I should just watch out and hope he doesn't get me because he, he created everything. I could look at it that way or I could look at it through the lens of, oh my God, you give me access to you. You spoke all of this and yet you look and acknowledge my existence on this earth. You know what I went through today. You know the pain I experienced that I don't tell my friend. You know that, that hurt that I experienced in that relationship that I don't want anybody to know. You know that, that family trauma. You know you care. You walk. You were there. And I wonder today when you hear awe, reverence, and fear of God, what side of the aisle you sit on. In Isaiah chapter six, well, well, first, here's the point. Here's the point for tonight. And we're gonna, we're gonna dig into a couple of these different revelations about God and his throne. And, and, and we're gonna lead to this beautiful place at the very end. But, but here's basically the point. Um, he's God. He's, he's big. He is great. He is mighty. He is majestic. He is so much bigger than you and I can comprehend. He is creator. He holds, he measures the heavens like this. The God that you and I worship, serve, and that is sitting in this very room with us right now. His spirit is here. Can hold the waters of this earth in the palm of his hand that there is nothing that is beyond his reach. There is, no, there is no hurt, pain, or circumstance he doesn't know about. The Bible says he knows every hair on your head and that just as much as the birds need food, how much more does he care to provide for you and for me? All of this is his and nothing is not. He is where everything begins and where everything has its destination. There is nothing that exists outside of him. There is nothing that can sustain itself outside of him. He is the point of everything. He is the point of life. He is the only reason I exist. He is the only reason that you and I have breath in our lungs. He is God. He is great. And I wonder, do, did we wake up with that realization this morning? Now, I wanna, I wanna clarify, I'm not here to condemn any one of you because I'm talking to myself as well. And that's why like, as we're going through this and where we're gonna lead tonight, really is just us having this conversation and ending with us saying, God, here I am. Say what you want, do what you want in my life, in my world, in my job, in my family but I wonder, do you and I wake up every morning with that realization that the reason I'm up is because he decided I should be? That when I wake up and the sun's out, it's because God decided to put it there this morning. Like, do we, do we intently look at everything in our life with that much awe and wonder and reverence and respect and 
fear of the Lord, do we? I'd like to submit to you tonight that that's probably the way that we should live our life. That might actually be what the fullness of life looks like. Every day we wake up and we say, oh my God, you are good. God, you did this again. You put me here, you gave me breath, you hung the stars, you... I wonder what our lives would look like if every morning we woke up with that realization. Because I can tell you, whether we wake up with the realization or not doesn't change the fact. But it will change our life. If we learn to view everything through that, through that lens. In Isaiah 40, the Bible goes through all of this and I'd encourage you to go and read it. Isaiah 40, the Bible goes through all of these different, God hung the stars, God placed. The Bible says that God flicked the stars into place. Can you even begin to comprehend that for a minute? Did you know, we actually, in the last week, um, I read an article that you can now buy land on Mars. Did you know that? Did you know that? Like you could, like the people are literally like buying coordinates on Mars. Like as if they're like ever gonna see that in their lifetime, right? Like there's probably, especially COVID, there's probably a handful of better ways to spend that money. I'm gonna just be honest. Um, but could be wrong. Could turn out to be the investment of a lifetime, okay? If you bought Mars, fantastic, okay? Build a house, we could all live there. Um, but like God, like Elon Musk did not make that opportunity a reality. Like, like God's the one that kind of made Mars, right? Like we're aware of that. Like he is, he is really that, that big. And I wonder, do we live our life with that realization? Okay, this is God. In Isaiah chapter six, okay, King Uzziah has just died. Okay, King, king Uzziah was a great king um, for the most part. Um, he was a fantastic king um, up until the last three years of his reign. Three years before his, his reign ended, his life tragically um, ended, he decided to enter the Holy of Holies to burn incense to the Lord. And that was not his place to go there. And the Bible says that because King Uzziah took it upon himself to enter the Holy of Holies, that uh, the, the Bible tells us that he was actually struck with leprosy and lived three years of this life exiled from people and humanity and died a tragic death went from this great king, this great king um, that, that many revered, many honored, did a, a bunch of really fantastic things, made a mistake and went into the Holy of Holies to burn incense to the Lord where he was not supposed to be, struck with leprosy and a legacy that could have ended with great king, ended with great king who died a tragic death, whose life ended tragically. And Isaiah Isaiah kind of comes on the scene at this point, okay? Isaiah, Isaiah marks the beginning of his ministry at the end of King Uzziah's uh, reign as he, as he passes. And, and Isaiah steps in um, to, a, to a moment, to a, to a situation in time that, that's not very good. And, and, and he has this encounter with the Lord. He has this encounter with God. And he details it in Isaiah 6. Okay? And he says, there, there are seraphim and their wings. And he begins to detail this, this throne room of God experience that he has. The same throne room that King Uzziah was not allowed to enter, Isaiah got a glimpse of with the Lord. 
okay? And the Bible details this, this encounter between Isaiah and, and the Lord. And it's talking about the smoke filled the room and that, his, that, that, the Lord's, that the train of his coat filled the entire temple, that there were seraphim and there was fire and there was all of this. And, and I wonder, as we read that, do we just read that as some cool story? Or what does that do for us? Like as you hear, as you hear that there were, there were seraphim, they had, each had six wings, two covered their face, two covered his feet, two with two he flew. They sung, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. Like what does that, what does that do for you? We see that Isaiah's response to encountering the Lord in such an intimate, amazing place was to fall on his face and say, woe is me, God, here I am. If you turn with me to Revelation chapter one, I wanna show you another, another encounter in this presence. Um, and as you're turning there, um, it, it's important to recognize that, that Isaiah first, he saw the Lord. Okay, it, it, it begins with Isaiah actually opening up his eyes and seeing God for who he is. Okay, there, there's a, there's a implication there that he chose to see nothing else and to see the Lord standing, standing in front of him. And then he begins, he begins to detail this and we see his response. He falls on his feet in response to seeing this glimpse of the Lord, of this throne room. He falls uh, on his face and says, woe is me. In, uh, in Revelation chapter one, turn there if you, if you will. Revelation chapter one, John. John, is, John has an opportunity. John, John has this amazing revelation um, of, of God, of, of eternity. In Revelation chapter, um, chapter one, verse 12, the Bible says this, then I, John is speaking, then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. Okay, this is right after God, God is speaking to him and it's in red letters. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in this book and send it to the seven churches. Okay, so there's this implication that John is like, okay, here I am, God, like do what you want. Tell me what you want me to say. Tell me what you want me to do. He says, then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me and having turned, I saw, and just, just picture this. If you wanna close your eyes, close your eyes, but just picture this for a moment. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as, it, as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Are you getting the picture of how big God is? Are you getting the picture of how majestic and holy and great and mighty God is? Verse 17, and when I saw him, this is John's response to, to this revelation of who God is. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. 
I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Do you see how big and majestic and great and mighty God is? Exodus chapter 3. Look at this. This is Moses. Moses detailing. Moses detailing. Okay, many of us, some of us may know this story of Moses. He's, he's, he's wandering in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, what we learned a couple weeks ago um, is the bush was not on fire. There was just fire there, and he turned. And the Bible says that, that Moses, that, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Going on, it says, Is the next verse? Exodus 2. I'll flip to it. It's okay. There we go. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Exodus 3, verse 2. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now look at this. Look at this. Moses sees the bush, sees that it's on fire. Cool. Moving on. Bible makes it abundantly clear. What does Moses do? It was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And what does Moses say? Here I am. Moses, Isaiah, John saw this glimpse of God, saw this glimpse of who God was, recognized in a moment that this is holy, this is different, this is not what I have seen before. I love how the Bible illustrates that Moses could not turn away. He had to look again. It's like that double take, right, that all of us do in public when we see those weird couples, okay? You know what I mean? And we're like, no way, he's with her. Like, like she could have done so much better. You know what I mean? Like that, that double take, we're like, what happened there, right? Like he must have a family with a lot of money. That's probably, right? No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Okay, none of us actually believe that. Although we think it sometimes. Anyways, but that double take, right? Like Moses goes, hold on a second. Something's different. Looks back, sees that this is a holy moment. Responds, here I am. And the Lord speaks to him. In each of these, there is a something that I want us all to understand. And it's that if you turn with back with me to Isaiah 6, and I promise we're ending, and we're going to be done, and we're going to read Hebrews 10, and then we're going to go into this moment. Okay, because this whole point uh, is not to like, I don't have 13 points. We have one point. And at the end, we're going to say simply, here I am, and we're going to wait and see what God says. But Isaiah 6, flip back to Isaiah chapter 6, if you can. And I want you to see something in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, the Bible says in verse 1 that Isaiah saw the Lord. Moses saw the bush. John saw the Holy One high and lifted up. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Up. Okay, in this moment, 
where everything is in chaos, nothing is working, the king is dead, what is gonna happen? He saw the Lord and where was he? He was still sitting on the throne. Okay, that's a word for many of us here tonight. Regardless of what you're going through, the reality is it might be your best move and interest to see that though you're going through chaos, he is still on the throne. That he is just as much on the throne right now as he ever has been. And he is there for you. But look at this. When he saw him, in verse four, the, in verse three, it says that the one cried out, holy, holy, holy. And then in verse four, after Elijah sees, after Elijah turns his attention, after Elijah recognizes this holy moment and what's happening, and he draws his attention to the Lord, it says, then the posts of the door were shaken. I wonder if that's not a word for any of us in our life, that as we go through challenges and difficulties and circumstances that are beyond our control, that if we want things to be shaken up, it first begins with us recognizing the holiness and greatness and majesty of our God. So often in our life, we only relate to God and call on God to be as big as our problem is. This relationship exists and it's about a level eight. And so what do we need? We need a level eight kind of God, don't we? So many of our relationship with God is simply, God, I only need you to be as big as my problem so that it can go away. But I wonder how your life and my life might shift and how the lives of the people around us may shift as well if we began our day recognizing how big and great and majestic God was first and everything else was put in proportion to that. That we didn't begin with, God, this is how big this problem is in my life. This is how big this hurt is. But we began with, God, this is how massive you are. God, I understand my woe is me. The things that I'm going through are nothing compared to you. In a moment, you can speak them out of existence. God, in a moment, you can bless this situation. In a moment, you can bring healing. But so often in life, I feel like we approach our days, our lives... Problem first, holiness of God second. But we see with Isaiah in a moment of chaos, he saw the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God, and everything else was secondary to that. And here's the one thought if you're gonna write this down. What Isaiah saw in a moment, you and I get to live every single day. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews 10 and I'm done and we're gonna read this and then we're gonna sit, to be honest, in the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, what Elijah saw, what Moses saw, what John saw, you and I get to live every single day. The question is, why don't we? What is it that keeps us from recognizing the holiness of God every single day? And can I tell you that when I see this picture of the throne room of God and realize that because of Jesus' sacrifice, I get to walk into that, the same holy of holies that King Uzziah died trying to enter. Jesus died to tear a veil that I could walk into every single day. So that problem you're experiencing, you get to now walk right into the presence of God and present it to him. 
I wonder if we got a glimpse of the holiness of God, of the greatness of God, of how big and mighty he is in comparison to every single thing on this earth, how it would change the way we pray. How would it change the way you present the issues that you're going on in your life? I promise you it would change the way you love people. I promise you it'll change the way you learn. It'll, it should change the way that we walk. It should change the way that we talk, that we act. Hear me, it should change the way that we witness to people. This is not a, hey, meet Jesus to get out of hell. No, this is a meet the creator God that wants you to experience life. He's got everything at his fingertips and he invites you and I into a room with him that we might be in relationship. It would change the way that we pray. It would change the way that we walk. Whatever you're facing, whatever family situation you have, maybe for a moment, begin with the holiness of God and see how it might fill you with confidence to come to him with what it is that you're facing right this moment and right now. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to buckle up because we're going to read 25 verses. Okay? And I know for some of you, this is more Bible than you've read this week, and that's okay. But we're going to read this. And I want everybody to pull out your phone, read it on the screen. But we're going to read this, and this will be our response. Let me just tell you, as soon as I'm done reading Hebrews 10, our response is going to be, I'm going to just tell you, we're going to, I'm going to ask that all of us bow. See, in Exodus, Moses took off his shoes. I'm not going to ask you to do that. That's weird. See, in Isaiah 6, he fell on his face and said, woe is me, recognizing how big God is in comparison to him and his life and everything that he's facing. Recognize he's still on the throne. John fell on his face, the Bible says, as if dead, to recognize the holiness and greatness of God. And they responded with one phrase, on bended knee, here I am. And then God spoke. My prayer for you and for me is that as we do that tonight, that any points, any, any tips you needed for your life, God might hand deliver to you in this moment. Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible details what Jesus did so that you and I could enter the presence of Almighty God every day. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things and never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burn offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, Jesus, talking to the Father. 
he takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after after he had offered one sacrifice, his body forever, for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds and, I will, and, and in their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Nowhere, no, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, hear this, having boldness, receiving the sacrifice that was Jesus' body for your and my sins. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God here, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Because of Jesus, what Isaiah saw, this beautiful picture of the throne room of God, what John illustrates, you and I, the veil has been torn, can experience every day. And I wonder today, As we bow our knee, bow our heads, close our eyes and say, God, here I am. What he may want to reveal and speak to you. How would it change your prayers? How would it change the way you live your life? How would it change the confidence that you walk in knowing that it doesn't, that, that, that even though I've made mistakes, I have Jesus and he's journeying with me and he's walking with me. And this isn't about perfection anymore, but rather submitting myself daily to the holiness and majesty of God. The beautiful thing what we see in Isaiah 6, Revelation 1, Exodus 3, a similar moment here right now for you. He's here. The God of the universe, the spirit of the living God is here in this room to meet with you. So I ask, what would be our response? I want to invite you if you can to just get on your knees, just about. You can go ahead and do it right now. You can sit in your chair if you need. You can turn around. You can just kneel down. But we're going to go into this moment of worship we're all just going to take the posture that we see in Isaiah 6 in Exodus 3 and Revelation 1 and on bended knee we bow recognizing that the holiness of God is one here 
but to so much greater than anything we can ever comprehend. And for one moment, I ask that we don't approach God and see him as big as we need him to be with a problem or whatever is going on in our life, but for one time, for this moment and beyond, that we might see God for as big and holy and majestic as he truly is, and that our response in humility and surrender would be, woe is me, God. I'm undone. And I would just ask, with your eyes closed, kneeling, whatever posture you're in, that there would be one response from your lips. And then we would be silent just to hear God. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this week at 7. For more information about our community and to stay up to date with everything going on at 7 and new content that's releasing every single week, make sure that you text 7 at 7 to 97,000. Don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at Be The 7. We love you and we'll see you next week. Be The 7.